Julia Hampton and Julia E. Hampton CPAPC have been your trusted sources for local tax preparation, payroll, and business services for more than 20 years. Do you have a tax strategy heading into 2019? You should. Well, unless you like being in trouble. Do you like being in trouble, Jason? Uh, no, but I'm remarkably good at it, regardless of whether I have a tax strategy or not. Well, look, if you have a bad tax strategy or no tax strategy at all, there's one person in town that can help you, and that's Julia Hampton. Call her today. She's right in the heart of downtown. Call her at 816-554-0394. I, hmm. Well, if, if, if I'm going to toot my own horn, I, horn, I would say that... Uh, that is the job of the storyteller, and that's what I've really found some uh, talent for over the last couple of years of diving into this, of being able to find a story, know that the story is there, and then be able to translate it in an audiovisual medium so that the viewer can understand that story as well. Like, why why is this one soundbite so powerful and important? Uh, it, it requires often some build up some context and pretext so that uh, you can see the arc of why this, this one moment in this person's life actually is very interesting and dramatic. This is Chris Cook. Chris Cook, welcome to Community Voices. Thank you for having me, Nick. No, wait a minute. Is it Chris or Chris Duffer? Because I hear both. Uh, or was it just when Julie's been mad at you, your wife, that I hear Christopher? Well, probably that. I I normally go by Christopher, but uh, I'll take I'll answer to either. And well, especially when my wife's angry, I'll answer to either. This is the first time that I have now had both a husband and a wife on uh, the show. Julie has been on our other podcast, Lee Summit Town Hall, twice now. Mm-hmm. Well, she was our first two-time guest. And then now, you were the first spouse of a previous guest. So, if this were a live audience, there'd be applause. Oh, I hear it in my head all the time. <laughs> Don't we all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are a local filmmaker, photographer, mm-hmm. creative. Uh, your company is Brain Root. Mm-hmm. I actually called you in. You did a project I heard about on NPR that, that intrigued me. You did a project called Dividing Lines. It is an audio tour, audio app that you can do um, in the Kansas City area. Tell me a little bit about what that is. Dividing Lines is a app-based audio tour and uh, driving tour. So it's kind of like a podcast plus Google Maps. So it's a podcast with directions. It's a podcast with directions, and it, uh, it uses your phone's GPS signal to both know where you are, trigger the next um you know, section of the story, as well as tell you to turn so that you can incorporate the story that you're hearing with the surrounding environment that you're in. So it's, it's supposed to be you know, pretty immersive and experiential that way. Is it a uh, is it choose your own adventure or is it telling you where to go to each point? Uh, this one specifically is telling you where to go to each point. Uh, the application can do, we didn't develop the app. Uh, we simply used the app. It's called Voice Map. Uh, and you can, I think right now, or at least as of a week or so ago, we were the only 
tour in Kansas City, uh, but it's a company out of uh, South Africa, and they're really slowly working to make it be a, a pretty cool global platform that anyone can pretty easily uh, have a desire to tell a story in their local community, make a audio tour, and get it up. So, well, well, tell me a little bit what what this is. Uh, dividing the lines. This is this is a piece of Kansas City's history, a story you're telling. So, so what is the story? So, dividing lines is trying to guide the listener through the um, through the history of residential housing segregation in Kansas City, uh, and giving the, the listener the understanding of how the, the present layout of Kansas City, and specifically Kansas City, Missouri, uh, it has been affected and kind of very intentionally designed uh, over the last 50, 60 years through different housing practices and federal regulations. Really, this is, this is about kind of the, the race relations history of, the, of Kansas City's development. Correct. And I, and I think we are learning now, I think everybody's known, but it's, it, it's really becoming more of a, a public conversation now about some of the, the, ways, uh, the ways the city was developed and, and how it encouraged flight one way or the mm-hmm. other. Exactly. Uh, so many different housing practices and policies really worked on fear to well, fear and prejudice um, to c- continue to segregate uh, different sections of the population, to, con- to continue to segregate uh, white and specifically white Protestants from pretty much any other group that was deemed uh, less valuable, uh, like the people who would damage property values. Uh, that That's a lot of the language that was deemed uh, usable at the turn of the turn of the century and then at the start of the housing movement. Uh, it's becoming more and more known these days, but one of the things that was very common in uh, pernicious or lauded, depending on which way you want to view it, were housing covenants, which basically said that, hey, even though you own this house, you own this property, uh, we're making you, the homeowner, sign a contract, a covenant with the Neighborhood Association, which says that you won't sell this home to anyone uh, outside of your group. Outside of your group, to you know, anyone who isn't white, uh, because... If all the, it was it's this really fascinating, really sad reality of like a, a created, like an expectation that becomes reified. You know, it, it's, uh, it's just almost like a bank run or a stock market thing. It, it's that um, needless sometimes. You, you could back in the day create a bank run just with enough uh, with enough public push. Like if you say there's a bank run, people will start getting worried. They'll go to the bank. They'll take all the money out of the bank, and then the bank will be, you know collapsed even though like before people talking about it it, it you, you could have just simply created that they would have been perfectly fine uh, and the the same thing in in my opinion in my understanding seems to have happened with these housing prejudices uh, against um, uh, African Americans against against black people homeowners in the across the nation really but specifically in Kansas City well where, even from Protestant to, to, to Jewish mm-hmm so it wasn't actually, it wasn't just race, it was also religion. Yeah, race and religion. The uh, the largest driving factors, though, I think have been, like, redlining most often occurred specifically along racial uh, zoning practices, whereas there were also anything that was mixed or, you know, non, non-white, non-white Protestant uh, became 
the less valued as well. Well, and there is, well known, there is a street in Kansas City where, where we, there's a huge difference between what's happened development-wise from the east side and the west side. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to assume, I haven't done this tour yet, but you probably start somewhere near there? We actually start um, at Shawnee Mission East High School. Really? We want to start in a comfortable spot because the goal with the audio tour, um, uh, which was a part of the Johnson County Public Library's Race Project KC, uh, the, the goal was to really try to make it inviting to the audience who might not normally uh, be interested in spending some time listening about this, be interested in driving east of Troost. So we want to start where you're, where the majority of people in Kansas City are comfortable. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you right there and just say Troost is, is the street. I oh, thanks. Yeah, we, we, we moved right past that. Yeah, Troost is the street. We should probably say that, that Troost, as everyone knows, that is the historic dividing line of mm-hmm. white and black in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And what we tried to do in the uh, in, in the audio tour was was go through multiple dividing lines because Troost, uh, since the, the 50s, the 60s, has really been the de facto dividing line along zip codes, along which be, uh, became uh, school boundaries, which became uh, real estate practices, where it was just kind of a gentleman's agreement that uh, while blockbusting and covenants had been kind of constitutionally, uh, uh, Supreme Court-wise, struck down, we're still just not going to show black buyers' homes west of Troost. Uh, so it was just a very simple way to uh, run the the block, sorry, um, a, a way of like trying to integrate housing uh, along the east side of Troost in Kansas City that went down from 27th Street, which was historically a very strong dividing line in Kansas City uh, because because of these racially restrictive covenants. Um, once those racially restrictive covenants were, were struck down and they no longer had legal precedent, uh, black families would finally feel like they had access, the right to buy some quality housing stock. So they would get with a realtor, the realtor would show them a home in a nicer neighborhood. Um, and they would they would finally get a nice home. It would be it would seem like a really wonderful thing, but because of the racial atmosphere that was that was more prevalent than uh, that would cause the white people in the neighborhood to be very scared uh, for whatever reason. May, if not even just racially prejudiced, they they were just simply scared for their property value. Like I don't, I don't have anything against. Um, you know, black people, but I'm just worried about what it might do to my right housing value. So I'm going to get out while I can, and that just so it just causes this um, kind of a, a downward spiral, like we saw no, in the that was the white flight. That the white flight occurs, uh, just similar to what we saw in the 2008 um, housing crisis, where all of a sudden there's a a flood of houses available. It suddenly depreciates everyone's housing value, and so it just, yeah, it kind of sparked panic where. All of the white people who could would move and fly. The whites would fly to the suburbs. The uh, the realtors would sell these homes to the uh, the African American families who finally wanted access to good housing stock. But all of a sudden, all, so many African American families would find themselves underwater on homes because they bought what they felt and what were really good homes. But all of a sudden, they, those homes were significantly becoming depreciated uh, because. 
because they were no longer valued uh, right. by the, the larger society as a whole. So how long um, how long of a tour is this? If I if I go out to Shawnee Mission, I turn on the app, and it it's about a ninety minute tour uh, total driving time. Uh, but uh, we start at Shawnee Mission East, which might be you know that might be five minutes away for some people in the metro. That might be twenty five minutes away. Right. And then we finish right around thirty first and uh, uh, the Paseo. And so depending on how far of a drive you might have, uh, it's probably best to have about a two and a half hour time window. So it's a good evening or uh, weekend trip. And it's free. The The Johnson County Library was really wonderful to work with. Uh, my co-producer, Nathaniel Bozarth, he'd been working on this podcast called Wide Ruled, and then he had a chance to uh, connect and talk with uh, the, the people who are leading this Race Project KC at the Johnson County Library. And they're like, hey, we've been doing this bus tour for the last couple of years, it'd be so cool if we could translate that bus tour into an experience that's uh, accessible to to anyone in the metro who wants to just you know download it on their phone and go. Uh, so uh, they they sponsored it. They they paid us to make it. It was a really beautiful thing where like the passions and the the things that are on Nathaniel and Mai's heart. Were, were actually a contracted job. Very rare, but really wonderful. And so it's it's free to download, free to take. I would imagine, being the creative brain that you are, that making this project just makes you think how many different ways you could use this tool in different communities just to tell histories of mm-hmm. communities. Both, both good and, and hard. I mean, dividing lines is a difficult topic to cover, but I mean, you could possibilities are endless. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool technology. Very, very innovative. I, I think there's been a couple of other iterations of this GPS plus podcast technology. Uh, there, was, there was a little bit of work that Nathaniel and I did for the Nelson Atkins, uh, doing just a smaller version inside the museum that used your location to trigger different uh, narration. But uh, so far, it, it's been a... <laughs> this first one was was a really cool but frustrating experience because I'm I'm really more of a video guy. I've been an AV geek since high school, and then working with Nathaniel, Nathaniel has a real audio storytelling passion, and so that, that's why he was working on this uh, wide ruled podcast about education, and then working to, we in working together on this. It was the first time that we were really using uh, the GPS triggering with a car. Because we'd done the Nelson one, uh, which is walking, and that's that's a lot more predictable and controllable. Uh, but we really had to go through a lot of inter- iterations of kind of trimming down the story because uh, we were like, okay, we, we checked Google Maps, we have five minutes of driving time between this point and this point. And then we go out and test it, and oh, we actually drove that in two minutes. <laughs> Okay. Right, and I, I and you've got to make it. You know, there's variables of how fast everyone drives. Yeah, I drive really slow. I drive like an old man. My wife is the well, opposite. You want, to be, you want to be careful, right? There's <laughs> right. a lot of crazy people out there Safety's, driving fast, just like your wife. Mm-hmm. Safety is important. Uh, well, but yeah, you to, to your point of uh, outside of like the newness of the technology uh, to Nathaniel and I, and just on the landscape in general, it it is really neat to see 
all the different stories that are out there. Uh, we There's the possibility that we might do one for the Kansas City Rose Garden. We've talked to a few other people about doing some KC history downtown. Uh, but with this platform, it's, it's really cool that they work hard to make it accessible to really any community organization. Like they will, uh, we, we were kind of an exception to them because normally they're the producers. They like say, hey, you have an idea? We'll walk you through it. But we were able to do that with the, the Johnson County Library. But um, yeah, it's, it'd be really neat to, to see how much more uh, storytelling there is in this, like, this location-based audio telling in the next couple of years. Well, you said that you're really a video guy. So mm-hmm. let's uh, transition a little bit over to your, your company, Brain Root, mm-hmm. which is where you do your work. And tell me if this isn't fair, but I, 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 would, I would, looking at your site, I would say that there um, is a common theme uh, of social issues, things you like to mm-hmm. tackle with these. Is, is that fair? Yeah, socially relevant documentaries and storytelling is really where I've finally recognized my, my heart lies. Uh, I, you know, me and some buddies were always working on some screenplays, what, uh, I, I don't know that there are many video guys that aren't, uh, but for the most part, since about 2012, I have really enjoyed the ability to, to work in the documentary field. So screenwriting is more like those traditional narrative movies, like you're writing the screenplay, you're gonna call action, there's gonna be the actors, uh, which you know I've had a few opportunities to do as well, and I, I still really love, but Right now, what occupies my time for the most part is a combination of documentary storytelling and then uh, client work to pay the bills. Because mo- most of the time, the creative projects don't pay the bills. That, that's the client work. So that there, I do promotional videos uh, often in the, uh, you know, not I've done it some 30 and you know, 60 second broadcast spot, but for the most part, I do some promotional videos geared for people's websites. Uh, so that's kind of what pays the bills, and then I spend most of the other time working on these documentaries. So what is it about uh, the documentary storytelling that really grabs you more than, say, a feature you know, follow the script with actors kind of thing? What, everybody, everybody who does storytelling does it a little different. I've, you know, my background is, is as, a, as a writer and a newspaper person, I've had to learn a new style as I, do, as I figured out this whole weird podcast world. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what grabs you? For, for me, it's just I like letting people talk. I like figuring out what, the, what their stories are. But, but what is it that grabs you about documentaries? To be perfectly honest, I would say, like between narrative and documentaries, it's the uh, the much lower barrier to entry uh, because there there's so many interesting stories out there. I I would say that when I'm working towards the narrative, it, it's really on themes that I see in real life as well. Uh, in documentary storytelling, it's getting to specifically with the socially relevant stuff, it's like talking about issues that are pertinent and present to our, our current society and trying to analyze just a little bit of what has built the fabric that we, you know, the, what has built this atmosphere that we are in every day, what has colored and tainted the water that we might not always be aware of as fish. and. The documentaries get yeah. I mean, documentaries are based in reality for the most part. There's there's some that kind of blur those lines between narrative 
Um, but is it a struggle to find the narrative within that? I mean, is that what you're doing? I hmm. Well, if if, if I'm gonna toot my own horn, I horn, I would say that uh, that is the job of the storyteller, and that's what I've really found some uh, talent for over the last couple of years of diving into this, of being able to find a story, know that the story is there, and then be able to translate it in an audiovisual medium so that the viewer can understand that story as well. Like, why why is this one soundbite so powerful and important? Uh, it, it requires often some build-up, some context and pretext so that uh, you can see the arc of why this, this one moment in this person's life actually is very interesting and dramatic. Uh, and that's something that, as a, as a documentary filmmaker, I can go out and do. Like, uh, really, the first film that I worked on was, the first documentary film that I worked on was We Are Superman with uh, Kevin Bryce. Kevin Bryce, in the story of Brain Root, uh, Kevin Bryce is a guy that uh, I met. Uh, we, it was just a really good connection. Started talking about filmmaking stuff. He was a KU student at the time. That was at a point in like the brain root life cycle when I had client work that I needed help with, so brought him on as a part-time editor, and then partway through that, he's like, hey, I, I got this idea. And so basically he had this concept for telling the story of these organizations that center around 31st and Troost, a couple of different nonprofits that are working to revitalize the Troost corridor, and specifically 31st and Troost, trying to really build a village mentality. And he, he had the idea and the passion, and I was like, hey, that sounds really cool, I'd love to help. And so he directed, I produced, and we were able to, just the two of us, running around with some cameras and, and sitting at the editing computer, create um, a documentary that, I, that a lot of people have said is, is really strong and powerful and continues to get some airtime on PBS uh, to this day. Oh, on different PBS member stations. It's not like PBS is, is broadcasting it, but that is, it's that draw to documentaries. Like the, if I, if I wanted to, if he and I wanted to write a script uh, and, and do it well and have the same efficacy and get seen by the same number of people, we would, you know, it, it would have been a much longer process, but between really kind of January 2012 and April, we, we had a 60 or 70 minute version of the film done. We continued to work on it and refine it a little bit over the next couple course of the year, but we were just really able to see the story, refine it and tell the story uh, in a quick way. And that's, that's what I think is really interesting about uh, documentaries these days. Do you have, um, do you have a list of things, that, a mental list, whatever, uh, of stories you were looking for? Is it you stumble upon something and it, and it clicks? Both. <laughs> Both. I mean, the backlog of ideas is pretty endless uh, for, for me and I think for a lot of Which is a creators. typical answer for artists. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, what? Of course, what, once I get done with this, then I move on to that and then this and then this and I, you know, the difficult thing as an as an quote-unquote artist, as a creative, as a video guy, whatever label or hat I'm wearing that day, it's to be able to stay focused on one. 
<laughs> when the new shiny thing shows up. Uh, that's, that, that's the yeah. hardest part. Yeah, right? <laughs> Squirrel! Squirrel. Uh, oh, no, this would be the cool thing. And, I mean, that's just a very common creative challenge to see it to the end. Uh, because the idea... There, there's a really beautiful book that my, by, that my, like, my long-time production buddy, Paul David, sent me uh, called um, Mind of the Maker by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, it's a essay and reflection on the creative process and specifically writing because Dorothy Sayers was a uh, like a fairly lauded author around the mid uh, 1900s and she talks about how we can reflect on the Trinity on on God as seen in the creative process because you know you have this Trinity and then in the creative process there's always the idea the energy and the power like the idea is is like this beautiful shining moment in in any writer's or artist's mind it's like that's what i should do and then the energy is actually that there it's like the incarnation of it uh, and it's very often very often not quite executed right which can be very frustrating or it just, it just takes a very long time to bring into the world and then the power of it is like well does anybody get it? Like, did, did that idea that you had actually reach anybody who sees the end product? And that whole process, like, it's that energy side <laughs> that takes the discipline. Well, I would say, for, for me, that's probably, that's the question that I ask all the time throughout the life cycle of a project is, someone else going to get it? Right. I mean, I, and I think that's, I don't know if that's what drives it, but I think that's the thing that holds me back the most mm. is, is am I translating what I think I'm translating? Mm -hmm. It's tough. Um, but how will you know until it's out there and how will you know what to do better until you see uh, what people did get and what people didn't get and were able to refine it for the next time? I mean, it's, uh, I think it really is a, a iteration process it's like oh I, I need to i need to continue to hone because the idea is there and maybe it's going to be the same idea you know uh brought into the world uh, incarnated multiple right. times uh so and, until people can can actually understand it i think the hardest part for me is to stop the editing and the iterations the hardest oh, part for me yeah. is the release is to say i'm done and that's also put tough. it out for somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you talk to some people, and I think especially, um, especially students, you know, new writers, new artists. But a lot of people, and, and, and I'll go back to my roots in the newspaper world. And you know, and a new a new student writer would come in. Hardest thing for them to do is to start the story. Mm. Well, you know, what's 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 my lead? What's my headline? That's not the hard part for me. For me, it's, am I done? Can I put this out for everybody else? Mm -hmm. and, and to actually sign off and be done is hard. Well, I will spend, if, if allowed, <laughs> I'll spend hours and days deciding whether or not to publish. Right. Well, that's, that's what's really nice probably about your, your, your early days in the newspaper business then, right? Because it gave forced you... Forced deadlines. That forced deadlines. <laughs> and that's so difficult as a, um, you know, as a freelancer now uh, to be able, both, both of us, just to be able to say, well, it's not quite done yet or I know I know it could be better uh, for me that's 
that's another reason why client projects are nice. It's like, it's, there's a built-in deadline. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, it's done. They're happy. It's good. Okay. And to let yourself be happy that they're happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think one of the hardest parts when you switch to a world of doing freelance work where you're taking on client work is their creative thinking may not match yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and oftentimes you turn in something they're like, this is a masterpiece. They hate it. Uh-huh. Or they don't think it's good enough. Or it's a different direction than, than they thought. And that's the hardest thing. And it's, Some of it's ego. Yeah. But, but some of it is also just translating their perspective to your perspective. Mm-hmm. And even when you turn something in and you're like, I could do better. But they love it. You've got to be okay with that. Yeah, the first couple of years of Brain Root, uh, gosh, I've been doing it about 10 years now. So the first couple of years of having this freelance LLC uh, doing this uh, this video work by contract, I really learned that value of those uh, upfront conversations, of those pre-production conversations. Like, what do you what do you want? What are your goals? Do you have examples that you're like silently basing this off of in the back of your head? Let me take a look at those. Okay, emulation is okay if that's if that is what you really want. So that yeah, because that that was a really that was a tough cookie to to swallow the first couple of times you like turn something in. It's like no, this this isn't what we wanted at all. Like, <laughs> well, oh. and I think there's a lot of value. It was it was hard for me to learn. Um, in teaching yourself to spend that extra time, you know, I always call it the, the, the learning phase, but to take a two-hour meeting and be like, you, I'm going to download everything you have to say. Exactly. I've got to have your perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then later you can get to, hey, here's my perspective. I'm going to try this. Yeah, yeah. But you've you got to know Maybe them. that's not a good idea. You've got to know them before this. you can even start. Yeah, yeah. Tough to learn, but invaluable once. Um, it, it was worth the... <laughs> it was worth the hurdles. It was worth the uphill battle to learn those things because it, it has made the everything since then so much easier. Now, I could sit and I could talk storytelling for about four more hours if you wanted to, but nobody wants to listen to me talk about that. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll wrap things up a little bit here. What's next? What are some projects you're working on? What are some things you want to do? I'm sure you have a list of things, but uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what you've got coming. So... <laughs> Speaking of projects that just never end, no, uh, that are never done. Uh, me and my some buddies have been working on this documentary for, depending on how you want to say it, um, what is today, 2018, five years? Uh, but really, I'd say the last two years we've been working on it pretty, you know, when able, as a passion project on this side, a, a documentary that originally was called Halls of Heroes because it's taking a look at these two different sports figures, two different college athletes, one from Iowa State, one from the University of Iowa, both of whom were, were really exceptional men, uh, great athletes and men of character, who died before the age of 25. And then years later, there's a, there's a groundswell of community support separately at both universities uh, to rename the stadiums after them. And so at Iowa State, you have Jack Trice Stadium, and at the University of Iowa, you have Niall Kinnick Stadium. Uh, and that is the only example of college stadiums that are named for uh, former athletes. 
former athletes who, you know, there's some examples of uh, someone who played and then became a president at the university. Pre- presidents always get buildings named after right. themselves for some reason. Uh, but it, it's a really fascinating story that um, that has been fun to learn more about. I This was uh, really started by the Iowa filmmakers troupe that I do a lot of work with, my, my buddy Paul, Scott, and Brendan. My buddies Paul, Scott, and Brendan. They found the story. This was just shortly after I'd done We Are Superman. So like, hey, we want to do a documentary. You just did a documentary. And so I've come into the fold, and it has been this project that is, is really neat. There's a really like rich amount of media and material for it, but it's just been on the side for, for so long. So we're, we're getting close. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, in the next couple of months, we'll have a really polished rough draft, if not a final, on one half of it, which is going to be Niall Kinnick's story, uh, his life and legacy. Um, and so, the, and then again, always working on a script. Uh, Paul Scott and I are um, Paul David Benedict, Scott Sipker, the Iowa Nice Guy, and myself. We have been working on trans, uh, kind of translating or rewriting. Uh, a play that the founder of Raygun, the, the t-shirt store, uh, wrote and produced last year. Uh, we're, we've been working on translating that into a film, film play, so a screenplay. So maybe that'll happen. <laughs> we'll see. We'd love it to happen. But uh, those, are the, those are kind of the two big creative projects that are still on the front. Uh, client works, some of the, one of the things that is a, another really fun uh, overlap of creative and client work is I'm doing some work for KCPT right now in a workforce development series. Uh, I think there should be another video coming out this Wednesday. Is it, yeah, tomorrow. Uh, I get the videos done and then they schedule them. So uh, that's been fun to work on because it's this combination of uh, journalism and storytelling and some animated motion graphics that it's really fun to work on. Uh, Dividing Lines is out in the world and we're really happy about that. Um, my co-producer Nathaniel, I think, has just finished up the last episode of Wide Ruled, which was a, a podcast that he was working on uh, for about a year about the past and present of equality in education. Uh, some really fun stories, uh, not fun, really good stories, really powerful stories that he that he found and told throughout. Uh, I think there's about 22 episodes. He just put the last one up because he has uh, he's he's in a really good spot now, but it takes him out of the of most of the brain root work. He's doing some work for Rockhurst and uh, good, going through his master's program now. So that is uh, that is where we're at. Uh, a Niokinic documentary, always working on a screenplay, and, and then one episode of, one last episode of Wide Ruled just came out this past week. If people want to download and use the Dividing Lines apps, they can go to, I assume, Apple Podcasts or, or the App Store. You should be able to find the app in the App Store or Google Apps. Uh, it's called Voice Map. And if you download it, it should automatically use your GPS to say, hell, you're in Kansas City. Here's some tours close to you. Dividing Lines, again, I believe last I checked, is the only tour in Kansas City right now. So Voice Voice app. Voice map. Voice map is because what it's, you look for. Yeah, okay. because it's like using the maps to, to okay. play the voices that you're going to hear. Voice map. And if people want to see your work, they can go to? Brainroot.tv. Uh, there'll be a variety. On the front page, we mostly list our creative projects, and then there 
there's a uh, link that you can find some of our client work on as well. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it's, you telling uh, your story. Always fun to talk about the projects I love. Thanks for having me. We hope you're enjoying Link to Lee Summit's weekly conversations with people from our community. If you like local stuff, I urge you to check out a new podcast, Varsity Kansas City. It's a new podcast every week talking about high school football in Lee Summit and throughout the Kansas City metro area. Check it out at varsitykc.com or subscribe and download it from your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Thursday. As always, we are brought to you by our good friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. They got a cool contest going on right now. They do. And, and backing on to your conversation about uh, high school football, many people in this city have a, an active rooting interest in one or more of our local high schools. And now you get a chance to let the world know which one of our lo- five local high schools is your favorite. And if your favorite wins gets the most votes, they're going to get a donation to their booster club. It's the way it works. So you can go in and with some of their new technology. And by the way, can I just note for the record, I didn't know um, before we had Budget Blinds on as a sponsor and they started like tuned us to this, the amount of technology that now goes into blinds and shades. Who knew? Who knew? I thought you just raised them and lowered them and then you picked white ones or brown ones or whatever ones. And So now you choose your design, you choose your color, they print your shades however you want it, and they go in your house. It's amazing. They do it they all. Get- so what you need to do is you need to go to their Facebook page, Budget Blinds of Lee's Summit in Overland Park. Vote for your favorite local school, Lee's Summit, Lee's Summit North, Lee's Summit West, St. Michael's Academy, or Summit Christian Academy. Get your friends to vote for your favorite and see if you can be the reason your favorite school's booster club wins some money. You have been listening to Community Voices, a weekly podcast celebrating the individuals who make our community. Catch the show each Monday at linktoleesummit.com or subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Do you have an interesting story? Does your neighbor, teacher, classmate, or friend let us know about it. Connect with us at link2leesummit.com or through Facebook or Instagram at link2leesummit.com.